Hey, are you into werewolves, mad scientists, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. The following podcast contains... Hey, 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 watch the language, okay? Your language is offensive. Hey, 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 watch your language. Watch your language in front of the lady, punk! Watch your language, okay? Oh, what language? It's a hat. Watch the language, little boy. You just watch your language, mister. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you figured out things were hard after 10 minutes with the president of China, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host Dave Bledsoe and this is a Friday, April 21st, 2017, You Dropped a Bomb on Me Baby edition of the show where we talk about the looming fireball in Korea and not the shitty whiskey kind either. Stay tuned. The What the Hell Will You Think podcast is brought to you by Mike, the Secondhand Missile Man, featuring clearance deals on many models of pre-owned ordnance, short, medium, and long-range ballistic missiles. We got a Soviet-era Scud B, still in the original packaging, not a mile on these babies. You want anti-ship missiles? Mike just took delivery of a whole line of French Exocet Block Twos. They're just like new. You will not find a better deal. You need air defense? Check out our SA-300 inventory. Mike the Secondhand Missile Man has crazy deals on Mad Pads, like American Stingers fresh off the truck from the Middle East. No questions, no answers. If you're thinking big, Soviet-era BGM-109Gs, ground-launch cruise missiles, full GPS targeting package with aftermarket upgrades. Reach out and say hello with Mike the Secondhand Missile Man. Truth is not always a pleasant thing. But it is necessary now to make a choice, to choose between two admittedly regrettable, but nevertheless distinguishable post-war environments. One where you got 20 million people killed, and the other where you got 150 million people killed. You're talking about mass murder, General, not war. Mr. President, I'm not saying we wouldn't get our hair must, but I do say no more than 10 to 20 million killed, tops, uh, depending on the breaks. I will not go down in history as the greatest mass murderer since Adolf Hitler. Perhaps it might be better, Mr. President, if you were more concerned with the American people than with your image in the history books. General Turgeson, I think I've heard quite sufficient from you. Thank you very much. You, uh, you probably don't know this about me, but, uh, I'm something of an expert on Korea. I spent an alcohol-fueled year on the peninsula from December of 1990 through December of 1991. And I learned a lot during that year, let me tell you. You see there's this drink that's called an ammo bowl? It's just fruit juice and soju, but it comes in this giant plastic white bowls, and there are straws that you stick in, and everybody just leans in and drinks out of it, and it fucking wipes your brain clean. I honestly don't know how I survive. But I also learned so much about the culture of Korea. Namely, that kimchi smells incredibly bad when you are hungover, but it smells incredibly good when you're drunk. Further, I learned that the young women in bars work for juice drinks, and they are not prostitutes unless you ask them. Additionally, if you find yourself drunk and lost in soul in the middle of the night, you can always just find a nice German dude who'll tell you how to get back to Santon. They're nice like that. Fucking Americans. While admittedly dated and probably more than a little racist, this knowledge seems to be utterly insufficient to allow someone to comment on the complex and developing situation going on in Korea right now. 
It is, however, actually far more informed and complete than anyone in the Trump administration, and they're the fuckers setting U.S. policy in the region. And if that doesn't scare the shit out of you, hang on, because I got a lot more coming. Starting with this caveat that I began research on this week's show on Tuesday morning, and though I've updated it through the week as I grew closer to recording tonight, there's a distinct possibility that one of the two fucking prima donna maniacs involved in this fiasco has done something to render the whole topic moot, like nuke Pyongyang or Seoul. It's that kind of situation. But assuming we've made it this far without the World War III kicking off, let's begin with a little history lesson. The history of Korea stretches way over 3,000 years. I mean, while Western civilization was running around in the desert, building pyramids and dreaming up divinities to kill one another over, the Koreans were building a complex bureaucratic society in competition with the Chinese and the Japanese. If the Mongols hadn't come along and wrecked the shit out of Korea in particular, the power dynamics of Asia throughout most of history might have been dramatically different. The barbarian horde! Alas, the Mongols did come and they did what, uh, what Mongols do. China was larger and diverse enough to recover and resurge. Korea, on the other hand, became rather a quiet backwater for centuries. Around the end of the 19th century, Korea began to catch up with the Industrial Revolution, initiated social and economic reforms, aimed at modernizing the country and bringing it into modernity. So, you know, the military and economic powerhouse of the region, Imperial Japan, promptly annexed Korea in 1910. I guess we all should have seen that coming. Despite a vigorous resistance that plagued the Japanese all the way through World War II, the peninsula remained under Japanese rule until 1945. This is where things get interesting for the United States. Like China, Korea had two factions fighting the Japanese during World War II. The Western support supported forces concentrated largely in the South, and the Communist supported forces allied with China's Mao in the North. The Soviets occupied North Korea north of the 38th parallel, the post-war dividing line. And after some political wranglings, the Koreans wound up with a military dictatorship supported by the United States in the South, though it wasn't called that. And in the North, the communist government wound up with an, wound up with an interesting fella by the name of Kim Il-sung. We'll come back to the Kims in a minute. Keep in mind I'm working to keep the history portion inside the time limit of this song. Everyone knew the war was coming, everyone knew it was a proxy war between Stalin and the West, and everyone knew it would be in Korea. The Korean War, well, it's not a war so much as a police action, kicked off in 1950 when the Chinese back north invaded South Korea in an attempt to unify the peninsula under communist rule. A token force of U.S. military made to the South Korea post-World War II, but the invasion was met primarily, entirely, by the Republic of Korea forces, and the Democratic People's Republic of Korea swept south in a wall of ass-kicking. They took Seoul in days, and drove everyone towards the southern coast, only to get bogged down in the mountains and making up most of Korea. Truman went to the UN and the U UN said, go forth and fight communism, and General Douglas MacArthur got his second time in the glory machine. He invaded North Korea at Incheon, pushed the North Koreans back to the 38th parallel, where he should have stopped, and the war would have ended quickly and decisively, and fairly soon after Kim Il-sung would have suffered an accident, and all this shit could have been avoided. But Doug decided his ego could not be satisfied with anything less than total defeat, and chased the DPRK all the way back to the Yalu to the Yalu River, which brought millions of angry Chinese over the border and into the war. Well, obviously that was a mistake. The war went on for three years and ended in stalemate. An armistice was signed to stop the fighting, and Hawkeye, BJ, and Colonel Potter and his horse all got to go home in 1953. The war, however, did not end. It just sort of went on hiatus. The Republic of Korea, which wasn't so much a republic, 
went through decades of U.S.-backed military dictators predicated around the threat of a massive North Korean army looming over their future. The United States stationed thousands of troops and bases throughout the South. The demilitarized zone along the 38th parallel was constructed, a two and a half mile wide strip of the most heavily armed and fortified land on the entire planet. And we've spent the past 60 years eyeball to eyeball with the North Koreans. Up north, the Kim family came out big fucking heroes because of their leadership against the imperialists and their puppets, and thanks to China making sure Kim Il-sung was well compensated for being a thorn in the U.S.'s side. Kim Il-sung spent the remainder of his life turning North Korea into a military state unrivaled in modernity. Even Nazi Germany cannot compare to how completely he transformed an entire population into what is essentially a military entity. It's not being hyperbolic to say that every single person in North Korea exists to defend the state in one fashion or another. Kim Jong-il succeeded his father as ruler of the nation, more a cult than a polity by now, and maintained the posture of being a major annoyance to the Republic of Korea and the United States, if rather less than an active threat. Kim Jong-il, as he grew older, became more and more obsessed with the eccentricities of absolute power while ignoring the rapid deterioration of his country. He pursued nukes kind of diffidently, using them as a bargain chip for Western corn and rice. And it's not far off to say that Kim Jong-il is better compared to a televangelist than an insane dictator. But his boy, Kim Jong-un, he's more of a mix between L. Ron Hubbard and Charles Manson. Actually, he's pretty much Shoko Ashihara, but you don't know who that is. I mean, all you really need to know is that he was... batshit crazy. I mean, this is a dude that executes people by putting them in front of an anti-aircraft con- cannon, which is fucking so extreme, you can't even do that in the movies. He killed his own brother by having a chick in a LOL shirt smear his face with VX gas. It's a cholinesterase inhibitor. Stops the brain from sending nerve messages down the spinal cord within 30 seconds. Any epidermal exposure or inhalation, and you'll know. Twinge at the small of your back as the poison seizes your nervous system. Do not move that. Your muscles freeze. You can't breathe. You spasm so hard you break your own back and spit your guts out. But that's after your skin melts off. Oh my God. I think we'd like God on our side at the moment, don't you? Who does that? I mean, this motherfucker had every single man in the country get the same lame-ass bull haircut as him. He's fucking out there. He makes Saddam Hussein look like your dog walker. He's so fucking crazy. He makes his own father look kind of rational. And Kim Jong-il literally kidnapped South Korean movie stars and held them hostages so they could make movies for him. And this dude has got nukes. Probably not a lot of them, but you really only need a couple. You really only need one. Last Saturday, Kim Bob put on the country's annual military parade, the Day of the Sun. See, Kim Kim Il-sun. Never mind. It's an annual military parade, and that's when they trot out their new missiles, like the new spring fashion line. Well, okay, they technically just trotted out the boxes. You keep missiles in. Missiles that could theoretically reach the continental United States if, um, you know, they actually worked or existed. The one they tried to test last Sunday blew up on the pad, possibly because America had hacked it somewhere along the line, but that's that's just a rumor. They do have missiles that could be fitted with nuclear weapons that will reach all of South Korea, most of Japan, the edge of Australia, and possibly Guam? You're going to Guam. 
Guam, sir. There's nothing going on on Guam. Why Guam? South of the 38th, you have the Republic of Korea. For decades following the war, it was a shambles with an endless procession of U.S. military-backed military dictators. And when you didn't have a U.S.-backed military dictator in power, the guy in power was propped up by the military, which was backed by the U.S. One of the more common ways for a leader to leave the office of president was feet first. And the young people of Korea did not like this, and they protested continuously. I mean, it got so bad during the 1980s, the United States forces, which are kind of revered for saving Korea's ass after in 1953, were constantly battling back protesters at their gates. And then, in 1987, the Koreans got their shit together. There were real democratic reforms. Real economic policies transformed the Republic of Korea into an economic powerhouse in Asia, rivaling Japan. South Korea today is a model of democracy, a booming economy, and a vibrant culture that influences the world on a profound level. Maybe you remember this? Yeah, that's just the tip of the iceberg in K-culture, which is a big thing amongst the youths that I don't know anything about. And if the Korean current president, or soon-to-be ex-president, is basically the nutjob daughter of one of their U.S.-backed military dictators, the Koreans didn't stage a coup. What happened was that millions of Koreans peacefully protested every week until she was impeached according to the Constitution. Just something to think about. There are 50 million people living in South Korea. 10 million in Seoul alone. Seoul, by the way, is very much in range of the North Korean tube artillery along the Z. The Republic of Korea military is a shade under half a million active duty, with another 250,000 on active reserve, and about that number again on inactive reserve. The, Nor the DPRK, by comparison, has a million people under arms actively, and the rest of the fucking country in reserve. I know, I know, again, with all the Koreans... How does this impact Merca and Merkins? That's what the American people care about. Fine. Everyone loves the military. So in 2014, there was 29,300 U.S. military stationed in South Korea. And their role in the event of war, and I speak from firsthand knowledge here that was both disappointing and incredibly disheartening, is the critical position of being a speed bump. And I've taken just 15 minutes in this show to give you the background of because that kind of shit is important. You can't possibly begin to understand where we are without knowing how we got here. Have you been paying any attention? Yeah, I really doubt it. Okay, let me let me let me jar your let me jangle you from your little cocoon of self-involvement. Nuclear fucking war. Only two things scare me, and one is nuclear war. What's the other? Excuse me? What's the other thing that scares you? Carnies. What? Circus folk. Nomads, you know. Smell like cabbage. Because, yes, Virginia, Kim Jong-un does have the bomb. According to the BBC, there were five confirmed nuclear tests between 2006 and 2016. The largest and largest estimate for the size of their weapons puts it in the probable range of the bomb we dropped on Nagasaki. The North Koreans claim they have a hydrogen bomb, which would put the yield of their bombs theoretically in the megaton range. Big yeah. boom. Yeah, big bada boom. Bada boom. <laughs> big ba boom, big bada boom. 
But no one really believes North Korea actually has a hydrogen bomb. Because, you know, hey, any in Nimrod with a reliable internet connection can design a nuclear bomb along the lines of Fat Man and Little Boy. Building one that works is a lot harder, but that's mostly because of the materials and money. And building a hydrogen bomb is really fucking hard. It takes know-how not commonly available and materials that are both rare and incredibly fucking expensive. And if you don't do it just right, it won't work, period. And it might just blow up in your face. So just because you say you have the bomb and hey, let's just say for shits and giggles that Kim Jong fat boy does have a hydrogen bomb, which he doesn't, that doesn't actually mean he can use them. All the bombs in the world don't mean shit if you have to put them on the back of a flatbed truck and drive them to their target, which is pretty much the only way they're going to get there based on current evidence. It took the better part of 20 years for the United States to develop a missile delivery system for our nukes, and we had a shitload of old Nazis working on it. We gotta assume that all the old Nazis are dead. I mean, the real Nazis, not like Richard Spencer and shit. And I guess North Korea could have bought some old Russians and have them working for them. But still, you kinda need a military-industrial complex to build all the parts, design the software, and put it all together in such a way that your missile doesn't blow up on the launch pad. And you gotta miniaturize the bomb itself, which ain't no simple thing. I mean, you cannot just pop into Pyongyang Radio Shack and pick up the parts you need. Only at Radio Shack, a candy company. I mean, best case scenario, they have a bomber-delivered nuclear weapon and some 50s vintage jet bombers to deliver it with. 82 of them at all, which are essentially Edsels against Ferraris when it comes to the kind of air defenses they face. I mean, yeah... Technically, one of them might get through, but only because the pilots on the other side were laughing so hard they didn't shoot straight. And all of that being true, and my tremendously funny jokes aside, this should still scare the fuck out of you. Because what if we're wrong? If Kimbog wanted, he could almost certainly nuke Seoul. Our bases in Japan, not to mention, you know, the rest of Japan are slightly less likely, but still doable. And you know, I think one time is way more than enough for one nation to have a nuclear bomb dropped on it, much less the third. If the intelligence is off, or if North Korea did buy themselves some Russian expertise, they could have the ability to theoretically drop a missile on the West Coast in four or five years, and more importantly, the will to use it. Throughout the Cold War, there was a pretty basic assumption that kept us from glass in the entire planet. Each side has something to live for. In America, we had new cars and color television sets. In the Soviet Union, they had a, fuck, I guess a new tractor factory and global communism. I was never really clear on that. What does North Korea have to live for? No, I mean, it's a shithole. Bad rice, the finest technology 1955 has to offer? I don't know. I mean, seriously, these people are still on dial-up over there. And even that's only available to the elite. I mean, I guess Fatboy has high-speed access for his porn, but like 9,600 baud modems are considered cutting edge over there. And of course, 
They're willing to nuke someone knowing full well that they'll be nuked in return because it would be a relief. Kim Jong-un isn't worried about being nuked because, you know, his tubby ass will be deep in an underground bunker surrounded by food, booze, whores, and a fiber optic cable running deep underground streaming Pornhub 24-7. He could never come out and it would be all the same to him because at least he won't have to see, have to see a country so poor, so demoralized and dirty, it makes 1970s Moscow look like Daytona Beach on spring break. Spring break forever, bitches. Ben Kissel from the wonderful Cave Comedy Radio podcast and noted demographic strategist said Kim Jong-Tubby is basically a cult leader right before his apocalyptic prophecy is about to be brought to fruition, and I think he's right. The scariest part about all of this is that the only thing stopping North Korea from using nuclear weapons right now is that they're not at all sure that they will work. Because if you're going to go out in a nuclear fireball yourself... At least you want a good fireworks show before you go. Tell me. And remember, this is for posterity, so be honest. How do you feel? <laughs> Interesting. In the past, North Korea's nuclear bellicosity has been a ploy for getting something they want. The easing of sanctions, assistance from the Chinese, fucking with the Republic of Korea. But now feels different. Admittedly, I'm not really a Korea expert outside of mixing a fucking awesome white dog, which is a drink combining Korean yogurt, a lemon-lime soda called Ken Cider, and soju into something you can drink all night and might just kill you from alcohol poisoning because the yogurt soothes your stomach and you're less likely to vomit from drinking too much. Good times. It's terrifying, actually. But I've kept Good an eye times. on the peninsula over the years because I would really like to go back someday before I die and get slammed on white dogs. And you can only really make them in Korea because you can't get kin cider in the state. It's impossible. Mountain Dew, right? Sorry, sorry. Gavin, why do you let me do that? Oh, that's right, because I demean and debase you. Sorry, sorry, I, I do. In the 25 years I've been watching... I believe we're closer to an actual war happening than any time I've seen. And keep in mind, I was in the country in 1991 when North Korea massed troops on the DMZ at the onset of the Gulf War. And we told them in no uncertain terms that if they came across, we would use nukes on them. And we meant it because I was at the base where those nukes were kept and they were cocked, locked, and ready to rock despite the fact that we said never actually admitted we have nukes in South Korea, which we totally did. There's also the contravening theory that this is nothing all that new, that the DPRK is huffing and puffing and just it's all just standard dick-waving. In an interview in Slate on Wednesday, which is included in the show notes by people who know more than drink recipes and where the cleanest girls are in Songtan, says the difference between today and the past is our own batshit crazy leader, which only sounds scary because... It's terrifying, actually. The gist is that the North Koreans have played this game for years knowing the other side would cave because, you know, glowing piles of radioactive rubble are not something you so much want. Now, we have a wildly unpredictable, utterly unqualified megalomaniac of our own who could decide this town just ain't too big, this town just ain't big enough for two mentally unbalanced, nuclear-capable leaders and decide to take the other one out. We are so fucked. 
The article in Slate is actually guardedly optimistic, and I urge you to read it as a counterpoint to the past 20 minutes of Chicken Little rhetoric I've been peddling to you. Wherever you fall on the scale of business as usual to holy fucking Jesus, we're all going to die, the situation in Korea is the first big test of the Trump administration on foreign policy that can't be solved with some flashy explosions on a tactically weak enemy. The entire Pacific Rim is at stake here, and if we play our cards wrong... The best worst-case scenario is we lose massive amounts of influence in the region, suffering a crippling economic hit as countries turn away from the United States as a stabilizing influence on trade and security and embrace China. Obama told Trump this would be the challenge he would face most urgently in the early portions of his presidency, and like so many other times, Barry was right. So far, Trump has rambled, waffled, lied, and golfed his way through a looming crisis. Nixon had something he called the madman theory, where literally he wanted the Soviets to believe he was crazy enough to launch a first-strike nuclear attack and cause an all-out war because, you know, if they thought that, they wouldn't fuck with America. Trump apparently has a similar theory, one I call the moron man theory, where he wants to convince people that he's incompetent enough to accidentally plunge the world into a nuclear war. You know, Donnie, when Machiavelli said sometimes it's necessary to simulate madness, the operative word was simulate. Trump is dumb enough to actually fucking do it. And while I used to have some fucking faith in Madison McMaster, these guys seem to be kind of getting it a little chubby in their fucking uniform trousers over the whole idea of doing this. Which is why we open the show with Buck Turgidson from So... Oh, God. We're all gonna die. We're all gonna die. The best worst-case scenario is probably the most likely scenario which will fuck millions of Americans in the long run and leave our diplomatic reputation floating like an unflushed turd in the shitter of the world. That's why it hurts so bad to be hoping this is what actually happens. Because the worst, worst-case scenario is a dangerously unhinged leader. All that remains in this case is to see which leader <coughs> that might be uses a nuclear weapon against civilian populations, killing millions and possibly leading to an escalation that could trigger World War III. The medium worst-case scenario leaves the Korean peninsula in an irradiated wasteland and not in a cool sci-fi way. I mean, I guess, sure... It's possible the Trump team actually managed to pull its collective heads out of its collective asses and comes to terms with the powers involved to find a way to defuse the situation. The cool heads prevail, and China, South Korea, Japan all agree to ease certain sanctions against the DPRK in return for a monitored suspension in their nuclear program over the coming years. North Korea is guided into a soft landing where the society gradually opens up to modernity and democracy. But as long as we're talking sci-fi here, we might as well go with the one with the happy unitards and holodecks in the scenario because i know which one i'm betting on or at least hot cylon women in red dresses the great lesson in all this is how americans seem utterly fixated on only one aspect if they're paying attention at all which they're not can north korea hurt the united states you know not the United States as in Americans in general or the hundreds of thousand people of American citizens who live within range of the missiles of North Korea already has. Not just those who are in the military who are after all real Americans' trademarks, 
But those quasi-Americans who live on the Pacific Islands that make up the U.S. territories Guam, American Samoa, and the Northern Marianas Islands, and apparently to fucking Jeff goddamn Sessions, fucking Hawaii. It's a goddamn state, you fucking racist prick. Just because they're brown doesn't mean you have to hate them automatically. Have you ever seen a hula dancer? Oh, and speaking of real Americans... Hey, by the way, Jeff Sessions, Guam has the highest rate of veterans per capita of any U.S. state or territory. But, you know, the medium narrative that we all hear is all about whether the continental United States is in any real danger. It is not. But this ignores the 50 million human beings who live in South Korea, one of our longest-running allies and one of the very few people that went into the shit show in Vietnam with us. Let me put this in terms that Americans can understand about the 50 million South Koreans. That's the population of Alaska, North and South Dakota, Delaware, Montana, Rhode Island, Maine, New Hampshire, Hawaii, Idaho, West Virginia, Nebraska, New Mexico, Kansas, Nevada, Arkansas, Mississippi, Utah, Iowa, Connecticut, Oklahoma, Oregon, Kentucky, Louisiana, Alabama, South Carolina, Minnesota, and a good chunk of Colorado that will all die in a nuclear fire if we don't pay any attention. Japan has 127 million people, in which this is a rough math here, but that's every state in the Union except California, New York, and Texas. These are real people. And if even one nuclear weapon goes off, they will all live with the effects of that for generations. If you think the nuclear meltdown in Fukushima was bad, try putting that in the middle of downtown Tokyo or downtown Seoul. Americans are a provincial people, which is a nice way to say we're self-centered pricks who don't give a shit about the rest of the world. But for better or worse, our actions impact more than just us. If we fuck up in North in Korea and North Korea launches a nuke, or even worse, we bomb North Korea or they invade South Korea and then we launch a nuke, it's going to affect them more than us. I think it might be important for us to pay attention to matters of life or death for millions of other human beings on this planet that are directly related to our actions. You know. If we can find time between the series finale of Girls and the opening weekend of Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Oh, baby Groot. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. That is it for our little doomsday show this week. How are you guys feeling here at the end of the world? You doing okay? Whoa, Gavin, buddy. Take off the gas mask. First of all, that's not a gas mask. That's my bong. And second of all, even if it was a gas mask, it's not going to save you from radiation. I can only hope that you sit rocking back and forth wondering why you had to live at this moment in history. The one thing you say to yourself is, how can I get more people to listen to this podcast? And you're in luck because unlike negotiating with a nuclear-tipped hat wackaloon, all you have to do is rate and review the show on iTunes because that's slightly more sane than thinking Trump knows what the fuck he's doing in Korea right now. I mean, dude doesn't even know where our own, our own aircraft carriers are going. 
I'm also betting you're thinking that white dog thing. Is that a real drink? And oh my God, pod friends, it is. For that recipe and other amazing pieces of drinking lore, follow the show on Twitter at the hell underscore podcast or the show name on Facebook. And you should definitely go now to the show name on SoundCloud or www.whatthehellpodcast.com and download all the episodes before the EMP waves from the nuclear blast knock out the power. All you got to do is keep some batteries buried deep in the garden, shield them, and play the, play the show as the, as the world burns. I know I will be. For me, Dave Bledsoe, the future mutant freak and currently freaked out producer Gavin, and all the other fictional missileers on this show, we want to say, you were the girl who changed my world. You lit the fuse and stand accused. You were the first for me. Kim Jong-un right now, probably. We'll see you all next week. Unless, of course, we're dead. You just a bomb, baby. You just a bomb,